Hey everybody, Todd here, and I swear we're going to get started in just one minute, but I wanted to take a moment to remind you, if you're enjoying the show, if you like what we do on the web, social media, you name it, take a look at our new page over at patreon.com slash play to find out how you might be able to get involved, what we can do for you, and uh, just take a look around and see what we're doing there. So again, that's patreon.com slash play. Sit back and enjoy. Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam. And you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Boom shakalaka. My mom gave birth in 1985. I was blue than a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the Cold War, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundromat was my sanctuary. That arcade was my church. I thought I was grass stand, so for evil I was searched. That joystick was the only thing I enjoyed holding. Okay, I'm ready to uh, jump in. Uh, Joshua Davidson of Gearbox, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing just fine. I really appreciate you taking time. Are you are you working this weekend? I am. I'm actually just right before you call me. I'm I'm working on implementing some sounds into Borderlands Three. Uh, just trying to you know we, we have a bunch of outsourced out- assets coming from our partners Formosa. Uh, it's a outsourcing studio that does that specializes in video game audio. Uh, they're out there in uh, Los Angeles and. They, they pretty much help out uh, studios if they need extra help, and they uh, they got famous for God of War recently, you know. Right. Um, so, no no small group of people to be working with. But right now, like it's we we kind of so crunched on time, sort of with this pro- particular project, at least on the creature work, mm-hmm. that like a lot of the creature sounds that we needed to do are we pretty much needed to outsource a bit and. And, and gets get some extra help doing that. So right now I'm taking a lot of the assets and just putting them into uh, into the game. Essentially, just it's it's busy work. It, yeah. It's, usually I'm the one creating all the assets and putting them in the game, but it's kind of uh, it's just a different you know it's a different world. I'm just taking someone else's work and putting it in right now. It's a lot to coordinate. I know I've even for a small to medium sized group, I've been involved in kind of, um, you know, one, one day you're developing and creating things and the next day you're sort of playing send back and forth and drop into place. And it's, it's every bit as challenging as anything you were doing previously to catch up with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it has an extra challenge because I'm not familiar with the sounds that this, these other people have made, like mm-hmm. I would be with my own content. So Knowing exactly what needs to go where is is part of the the process, but it's not a big it's not a big deal. I enjoy doing it, so not a big deal. It's cool. it's also easy, you know, weekend busy work kind of stuff that I could just do at my house, which I'm at my house right now doing it. So that is that is the best uh, situation, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes it makes the uh, tough times of quote unquote finishing a project and crunching, you know, like a lot more streamlined and easy if I can just wake up and just kind of do some things. Yeah, I'm having for sure. my morning coffee and then walking my dog. And stuff, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm trying to remember how exactly we crossed paths, and it was only a couple of weeks ago. But I uh, I ran across you, and one of the first things I saw on your uh, feed was a write up you had done, actually a good number of years ago now, about how you had gotten into the uh, professional game audio uh, industry, and. I, I thought it was great. I thought the, the write-up was great and the advice you gave people was great. I'm sure going to link to it in the show notes, but I, I thought it'd be cool to have you come on, talk us through a little bit of that, uh, hit some of the highlights, and I've, I've got some questions for you I think people will be curious to know about. So uh, if that sounds good, that's what we'll do here today. Yeah, that's, that sounds cool. Yeah. And I, I realized the, the thing I messed up by having you on is now... I'll have a professional recording engineer listen to at least one episode of my podcast, and that's not going to be fun for either of us. Well, uh, I'm the one without a, a, a microphone. I'm just Skyping through my phone right now. I feel a little bit ashamed of my my own self right now. <laughs> you sound pretty good. Like, you'll be surprised yeah. when you hear it back. You sound d- really decent on this side. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm on my Pixel 3, so hopefully that's good enough. I had a Pixel 2 for a while, so I, I actually do like that line of phones. Yeah. Uh, I just got it mainly for the camera. It's it's a great camera. Oh, man, the photos are just outstanding. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I wrote that blog post about how I, how I got into the video game industry. I think it was back, actually, in 2012. I don't know if 
I don't think actually Borderlands 2 had come out yet when I wrote that blog post, but um, I wrote it just for fun and I put it out on Tumblr and there's a video game audio subreddit and I put it on there and I still get emails about that blog post all the time. Like it was actually just, uh, I, I was taken aback by how quickly and virally it sort of spread. Hundreds of emails have come through my inbox about it. I, I, I All I did was really put it up on a subreddit and uh, kind of the rest is history and, and stuff. So uh, yeah, it's cool that you also found it, you know, all these years later yourself. <laughs> I, I did. And I, something that struck me about this, and I think probably something that connected with everybody else was you said at one point, this is a lot of the advice I wish I had heard on the way in. And I yeah. thought, isn't that what we're always looking for? And like those of us who have turned to like create our own content, isn't that what we're trying to pass along? So I thought that's really the essence of just everything we're trying to do. Yeah, I know. I I'm pretty transparent about like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk individually with a lot of people and tell them like, yeah, this is what you can expect, like for salaries to company cultures to, you know, things like that. I mean, I, I try to temper people's expectations as, as well. And let them know that, you know, not every company is similar, but mm -hmm. if, here's what you can expect if you get a job in a AAA video game and, you know, company, you know, and and there's certain risks that come with it. Obviously, video game companies shut down a lot. I've been very blessed in my career to have had a very stable career. I've been at Gearbox for almost 10 years now. And yeah, like, wow. I, luckily, it's just been a very stable company. I, and I remember actually when I got the job at Gearbox, I was like, I think I'll be here for a few years. You know, thinking like, you know, I was pretty young then and like wanting just to kind of like move around and try out all the different places in the country and all the different video game companies. But I think it took a little bit of maturity on my end to realize, hey, you need to <laughs> accept that, you know, uh, stability is a rare thing, you know, in this industry. And to have that is really at the end of the day, that's the golden ticket. Having a, re a real stable job is is something to be to count your blessings with honestly that that sounds exactly right and it it sounds like when you were in say high school you didn't exactly picture yourself necessarily working in the game industry but you did want to work in recording and, and stuff like that is that right yeah i actually went to a, a school called full sail in orlando full sail university and then i was back in 2006 and i enrolled in the school and i was very apprehensive you know about enrolling into the school because i mean the school is, I mean, if you know anything about Full Sail, which some of your listeners might know, and maybe you, you yourself know, it's a <laughs> marketing machine. It, uh, it, it is all, it's plastered all over the internet as this school that you can go to and get this amazing creative job when you get out. And it covers a lot of different mediums. So f there's film and there's recording arts, there's video game design at the school, there's media arts, there's broad encompassing like other degrees as well, just the that, that like cover different uh you know like animation there's 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 just a ton of stuff that the school teaches it gets a lot of people from disparate fields and and crafts all into one location sort of just like the video game industry does mm -hmm. and, and people study there um and when i first w started going there i mean I, i've been a gamer my whole life and i've always had a deep passion for games but i always just assumed you know like i'm too stupid to work in games like <laughs> I, I I always thought, oh, you need to know code. You need to learn how to do code. Like I, I can't I can't do math well. I'm really I'm really poor at that kind of stuff. My brain doesn't really do well in that in, in that world. So I just kind of like wrote off video games as a career because I didn't think that I would I had it I had it I had that kind of those kind of chops. But two months into the to going to school for recording arts, I this was in 2006 when recording studios were shutting down all over the place and yeah. the, the idea of getting like a, you know getting out of school and getting mm -hmm. a getting a getting a job at a recording studio working as an intern then working your way up as a as an in-house in, or a assistant engineer and then uh, and then a full-time engineer working at a studio it's not it just wasn't happening anymore for people like because of you know mp3 technology and and the way that music distribution was sort of like changing the amount of profit that was affecting you know that industry but it wasn't just right. that it, it, the fact that music recording technology has become so ubiquitous and so inexpensive i mean just look at i'm sure you have right now uh the i, I see in your room 
appear <laughs> behind you. You have some acoustic panels up. You have a yeah. pop filter, a pretty decent condenser microphone. I can I can assume. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you also probably have uh, an interface that records into your computer and everything like that. And uh, that's all pretty affordable these days. And you can yeah. do some nice stuff for 500 bucks, maybe you know, like mm-hmm. or a, under 1,000 dollar budget. You can actually like people have built entire records just on that you know so i went to school right when this giant sea change was happening and there was so much uncertainty about like how do you get a job doing audio now you know and and make make a good living off of it and one teacher second month of school said something you guys need to look into video game audio Mm-hmm. And uh, all these, like at this time, Xbox 360 had just come out, and PS3 was just around the corner. I think I think PS3 was just coming out as well. Mm-hmm. And they, one of my teachers said, like, video game studios are hiring people to work inside their video game company and do sound design for their games. And and I and I was like, but you have to know how to do code. And you know, one of my one of my teachers was like, no, you don't. You just have to make cool sounds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> oh. I'm like, I just have to make cool sounds. Well, I already like doing that all the time. I, I was a I, I made a lot of electronic music all the time in my uh, on on the side, and and electronic music was. I mean, it is sound design in a lot of ways. Like, uh, what makes really cool electronic music to most people is how well. You know, obviously the, the the music composition itself, but how artists create their own personal sounds and create a soundscape that's unique to their own vision. Like, like people will listen to an artist a lot because of like how they craft their synth patches and things like that. So it just kind of like clicked for me. Like as soon as I heard that, I was like, well, I you know the the idea of working in inside of a recording studio still seemed like the sexiest job of them all um, at that time. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the more I kind of went on with it and the more I kind of like studied the video game industry, I just I just buckled down and just tr- every time I would change classes, I would ask the teacher like, hey, do you know anything about video game audio? Like, how do you get in? Yeah. And a lot of them at that time were just kind of like, I don't know. I hear, you know, I hear that there's a lot of opportunity happening there, but I don't really know much about it. So I I just went online and I, I just was like I need to find people who do this, yeah. <laughs> you know. And I need to find all the people who can, who do this right now for a living, and I need to just blast emails out to them. And right at that time, uh, MySpace was still a thing, <laughs> and my MySpace is as much as a, as a joke as it seems like it is now because it failed and everything. It actually had a really cool tool for searching for people uh, back then, like based on what job they had. And in a similar, I kind of remember that. Yeah. Yeah. In a similar way, way that it, that LinkedIn does now, Mm -hmm. you can do that. You could have done that on MySpace if you, if you wanted to. And I found, you know, a a number of people that I, I sent off emails to and uh, they would, they just got back to me. They were like, yeah, sure. I'd love to answer your questions. And like, I think these days people are like, you know, on LinkedIn, we, we, you know, if you're in the industry, you're kind of used to being friended by a lot of people and yeah. and stuff like that. So it gets a little like spammy. But I think back then I kind of like touched. I, I must have just I just got so lucky being at the right place at the right time because people were not used to students hitting them up about this kind of thing back then and like asking them questions. And so I would ask well, one guy named Brian Feaser. I would email him a bunch. And he was like one of the one of the best people at getting getting back to my emails. He worked at Terminal Reality working on the Ghostbusters game. Oh, yeah. Back in the day. And uh, funny enough, he actually works at Gearbox now. I helped, <laughs> I helped him get hired at Gearbox. Like, I recommended <laughs> him to get hired. And, like, now we're, like, totally cool cool buddies working together. Yeah. Uh, just a small world thing. But, uh, yeah, it was all about just, like, emailing people. And then, like, I, they would all get back to me. Everyone was super nice. And I was like, man, this seems, you know, like, this seems like the kind of industry I want to get into and stuff. So yeah, and from that point, there's this thing called the video game, uh, or it's still around. It's called Game Audio Network Guild, a gang for short. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's there every year. There's there's gang awards. Like it's sort of like the inner audio community inside of games that like you know kind of like rec- give each other recognition. So there's like gang awards for best soundtrack. There's gang awards for best overall audio presentation and 
you know, best voiceover and things like that. So uh, I joined the Gang Audio Network Guild for like my dad gave it to me as a Christmas present back then. For it was like a fifty dollar you know entry fee, mm-hmm. and I only made one, I only really made one forum post on there because. It was, like a lot of it was a bunch of newbies trying to figure out how to get into the industry, just like myself back then. And like I made one forum post saying, "Hey, I'm a full sales student. I really want to figure out how to get into the video game industry. And any help, any advice, you know, I just really need it." And one guy got back to me named Mark Kilborn, and at that time he was actually, I think he was working freelance. He was working on this game called The Club. Uh, I don't know if it was like it's sort of an obscure title now. Oh, the but shooter. Yeah, it was like a third-person shooter. Yeah, I, I played that. Kind of, a, it's kind of an obscure title now, but I think it was pretty cool back then. Yeah. Um, but he was he was working on the club, and so like he got back to my forum post and was like, "Hey, I was a full sale student too, and I'm working in video game audio now full time. I would love to ch- feel free to chat with me on instant me- AOL Instant Messenger if you remember <laughs> that program." Oh yeah, <laughs> shout out. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, uh but yeah like he uh i i friended him on instant messenger and like we kind of hit it off and like talked very regularly all the time and and um while i was still in school mark actually went to work he was he's from dallas texas too uh and he actually went to work for gearbox here in dallas and in-house so as a student i was kind of like oh man, I would just love to work at Gearbox. It seems yeah. like a really cool company. The more I learned about it and stuff and mm-hmm. Borderlands wasn't even a thing back then. Um, it was, it was still uh, brothers in arms and, and oh, yeah. uh, primarily just a brothers in arms studio at that point. And um, they did ports and stuff, right? Yeah. I actually dreamed my ass off just constantly going to bed at night thinking about working at Gearbox. Like, <laughs> cause he, he told me like, you know, if I ever have an internship available here, I would love to, like you're the guy that I would recommend. And I'll, you know, as a student hearing that, you know, you're just like, ah, yeah. It's total music to your ears. Like that, that's like your breakthrough. That's the thing that you're wanting to, you know, get into the industry and everything. But yeah. I actually didn't work at Gearbox at first when I got out of school. Um, I had been blasting my resume off to like really tiny companies that like did small, small indie games on the side. Like, um, none of them would ever get back to me. I just didn't know how to like get noticed by anyone. And sure. one day I kind of, I came back from, I came back from class. I was feeling really frustrated uh, about this recording arts test that I took. I felt like some of the answers through some curveballs or some questions through curveballs at me and stuff. So I was like pretty frustrated, but I came, I came home that day and Mark Kilborn sent me a, a, an instant message and he was like, Hey man, look at this company. They're hiring. Uh, they're in Illinois. They're called Volition. And uh, I looked at the the posting, and this is a big AAA developer. And I'm like, there's no way that the, you know these little guys over here are not even. They barely notice me. You know, like yeah. how how is this AAA developer that you know they they had put out Saints Road the year before and everything. Like how are they? You know, they they also did Red Faction. If you're not familiar with them, but but yeah, like I I was just like, man there's no way that they'll pay attention to me. He's like, Hey, here's, here's the one. And it was the best piece of advice that I've ever gotten. He was like, just send in, <laughs> just send in your, your resume, send them your portfolio website. And then just uh, find, look on their, look at the company website, find out who the sound designers are and what their email address is going to be. Is it going to be the first initial and last name or vice versa? It's going to be the, their uh, first name and last initial at that company.com, you know, villageinc.com was the web's website and i was like all right so i found the audio director and i just personally emailed him just guessing his email address i love that and, yeah <laughs> and then i just said hey here hey i applied for this and i'm graduating in a month and i see you have this job position open i i'm totally down i would love to work for your team like it would be a dream come true and he got back to me in like five minutes and was like <laughs> I love your website. I like your stuff. Hey, can you make us a, like a personal demo over the weekend? That'd be freaking great. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can't this. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like a triple a developer asking me to do something. I'm like, how high do you want me to jump? So I just right. spent, I spent the whole weekend making a demo. And at this time I, I was like, I barely knew anything about video game sound design. It was like a totally fake it till you make it situation. So I just, I, I went to game trailers.com 
took some gameplay footage of Bioshock and just stripped all of the audio out of it and just replaced it, replaced like 30, 45 seconds of that footage with my own footage, with my own sounds, you know, just did it, did it, did it on my own. And like, I, I sent it in, I, after, after, uh, that whole weekend of working on that thing, I just, on Monday morning, I sent it to him, like just ready to go. And they were like, he's the audio director got back to me. I was like, Hey, well, I like this demo. Hey, we, we should, uh, we should uh, do a phone interview. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> now, if I can jump in for a minute, I, I know I read about this, this part, you described the demo and I, I didn't really know that that would be a process that like someone in your position would do, because I honestly, I don't know the entire scope of what you would do in a studio setting like that because I'm mostly independent, but you, you yeah. went to find these trailers, you, you completely muted, just ripped all the audio out and yeah. then layer by layer recreated your own version of sound for these, the, the gameplay yeah. footage. And yeah. I mean that like music and everything, or I, I started to put my own music in it. Um, but Mark Kilborn, uh, and this is a great advice for anyone. It's don't, don't do that. You're applying yeah. for a online job. Don't, you're not, uh, Dan Wentz, the the then audio director at Volition, told me that composition is a plus. And I actually ended up going on to t- making some music for their games. But my primary role was just sound designer. Mm-hmm. So when you're trying to, like, a thing that can bite you in the ass if you're applying for a sound designer job is if you start put, giving a lot of music to, to uh, developers. And developers will think that you're a composer trying to sneak in as a sound designer. And, like, they won't trust you, you know? Let's, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's sort of, it's like, they're totally two different things and are two different responsibilities. That was something that I just didn't have a very firm grasp on when I was applying for the job back then. Right. But yeah, for a weekend, that's a daunting task anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was, I was, I was having a lot of fun, you know, like, but I was scared, you know, I was super scared. I'm like, man, this is, this is, this was a big deal to me. And I, I would have, like, I, I said to people all the time back then, I was like, man, I really want this. I like, I, I'd rather get this than win a billion dollars in the lottery. Like this is (laughs) so much cooler than just, you know, like doing that, like, or just, you know, getting a big chunk of money. But, and, and you said one of the games you did was saints row, which they were working on, which I thought was a brilliant move. Yeah. I I did another demo of saints row footage. I, I mean, I just wanted to keep it relevant to what they already do, and I, I had a feeling that they were kind of probably working in another Saints Row. I, I think they actually had already announced that they were working on another Saints Row at that point, so mm-hmm. it seemed like you know a no-brainer to just kind of do that. So, I mean, my demo, like looking back on it today, it's a pretty shitty demo, but yeah, I'm <laughs> happy that they liked it. <laughs> sure, yeah, they're like, we can work with this, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think they kind of, I mean, they realized that. The, the, I mean, the, the fundamental principles of sound design and everything and like game audio stuff, I, I mean, it was there in my demo. So they were lo- looking for someone that they could like groom to, to groom into a full-time role and like, you know, take them up from a junior to a mid-tier to a senior, you know, and things like that. So yeah, I submitted those two demos and, you know, I had a phone interview and it was like, you know, the most, it was like the most nervous you've ever been you know, talking, like calling a, calling your crush in high school or something. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. You just know that the, like pick them picking up the phone at the other end. Uh, I remember my voice cracking and I, I was just trim. My voice was like trembling and, but they were all super nice. And like, I kind of calmed down like midway through the interview and, you know, they were everything, everything went really smoothly in that phone interview. And then we hung up and I said goodbye and then I didn't hear anything for a really long time. Like I think a week or two went by and I heard nothing and I just thought it was over. You know, I was like, this is, this is not going to happen. And I was just constantly like trying to get it out of my head and just, and I just kept thinking like, Hey, this is, this is a cool, this is a cool, this shows you that this could happen. You know, like you got pretty close, bro, but (laughs) it it may not, it may not be happening this time, but, this this is this is cool you know it's good yeah. to have the opportunity to at least talk to people inside and have them kind of like give you a nod that you you deserve a chance and but it ended up happening i mean i got a i got an email you know it was like two or three weeks before i was going to graduate and it was from their hr and it was like hey when can we fly you out like this most simple <laughs> email that just like blew my mind <laughs> you know yeah. just like a simple two sentence email hey can, when, when we fly you out i'm like fly me out there you go y'all would do that <laughs> like <laughs> like all these like i i 
I thought it would be so cool to get a job in a recording studio, but a recording studio is not going to fly you out like and, and true. You know, stuff like that, you know. So uh, it was cool. It was just a cool experience, you know. And and uh, like pretty much right after the interview, three three or four days later, they uh, the on site interview anyway. Like uh, they they did uh, extend me an offer, and I went up to work with them for, uh, and I ended up working with them for two years. So and it, it was great. What was the transition like from Orlando to Northern Illinois? Because I grew up in Illinois, so I ask as a former resident. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, it was uh, I, w- I embraced it with open arms, but I'm I'm originally from the South. I'm originally from Georgia. Oh, okay. Uh, I am not used to that that weather at all. It kind of like it kind of shook me to my core. All that snow. <laughs> that checks out. Yeah, yeah. It totally was a. Uh, it, Spending, you know, like my entire time in the South, I barely saw snow and like all of a sudden I was seeing a ton of it and yeah. I, I did not have the attire for it. And like, I don't know, it was kind of a culture shock for me because like everybody, everybody there was used to it and just expected it. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're just, you know, they just had that sort of like winter weather approach to things that <laughs> nobody in the South does. That, that winter mindset. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, yeah. You just kind of like endure it in a certain way that I just was, and that I'm still impressed by. <laughs> that's, that's about the answer I expected. So, so your your ad volition, it's a relatively small group. I mean, for being a you know as big a studio as they are, two. I think they were around that time. They were about two hundred people, and oh, okay, that's bigger than I thought. It's two hundred people, and they were they were working on two games at once. So mm. they were doing Red Faction Gorilla, and they were doing Tanks Row Two. I mean, it was a pretty, it was a pretty robust operation for 200 people. Like it's like, it's kind of crazy to think of 200 people working on two projects nowadays. It's true. Yeah. Cause, uh, Gearbox right now working on Borderlands three, there's 450 people. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> there's like, uh, I think around 300 people just at Gearbox here in Frisco, Texas, outside mm-hmm. of Dallas. And uh, Gearbox actually opened another studio in Quebec. Oh, wow. And it's kind of funny because, like, I, I kind of raised my eyebrows whenever Gearbox opened that Quebec studio. I'm like, why are we doing this? Yeah. And uh, after, now that Quebec, Quebec, we've had Quebec for a few years now, or two or three years, uh, they, the Quebec studio just grabbed a ton of senior talent in that area. In the, oh, yeah. In the, it's a huge area for game development, for sure. It, it is, and it's it pretty much they only they pretty much only got senior level talent. <laughs> so, like in meetings for Borderlands Three, like we all we have these internal meetings where you know every department and every department kind of shows off what they're working on. And Quebec was always just making us look bad. <laughs> <laughs> they were always like, "Not I'm just I, I'm just jesting when I say that," but sure. like. They really were, I mean, they really had, they, the entire uh, development of this game, like, they've just been crushing it, showing off, like, all the cool stuff that they've been working on. I, I, I probably can't really say what they did work on quite yet, but... But they brought their A game. Yeah, it, and it, it almost feels like they, they've just done so much amazing work, almost effort, effortlessly. They just, like, week or month after month, they would just uh, post up their videos of stuff they've been working on. And it's every time it was just like, man, we don't deserve you guys. You guys are, <laughs> you guys are amazing. <laughs> it, it's nice when things pay off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just read, you know, like this article about, you know, the Bioware fiasco with Anthem and everything. And yeah. one of the things that, that kind of struck me uh, in the article, and it, it seems like it's true. It sucks that if it is true, but uh, the developer's, a lot of studios have multiple locations now and it seems like there was an attitude at Bioware proper in Edmonton sort of like we're the real Bioware and then like there was a the the other one and there's one in Austin like wasn't the real Bioware or something like so there's this little there was a little bit of a tug of tug of war struggle between the two studios and it actually ends up hurting the project when there's not that level of cohesion but I feel like Man, it's like I feel pretty blessed that we don't have that problem with our Quebec partners right now. Like, yeah, they're all, they're all super talented, and we have nothing but respect for them. And you were there first, so. <laughs> but <laughs> no, it, it is it is good that you got that positive energy because I I agree. You read about this stuff uh, 
it's happened. It seems like it's happened a lot of times in the recent past. Studios branch out these satellite locations, and there's just chaos afterwards. So it's nice yeah. when they've got that synergy going. Yeah, I th- it's, from from my point of view, like uh, uh, the Ubisoft studios have seemed to have developed a nice level of cohesion with themselves too, because I feel like they've had all the Ubisoft games that have come out in the past year have had a really high level of quality and just cohesion to them. And I know that they, I mean, there's a, a bunch, uh, there's a, there's a bunch of uh, Ubisoft studios now, but I know that they all kind of, they'll borrow staff from each other and, you know, and, and everything and coordinating that is, is definitely a difficult task, mm-hmm. no doubt. But it seems like those games, uh, the quality of the quality part of their games have, has gone up a lot over the past few years. And yeah. it seems like they've definitely ironed out some of that, some of that, you know, cohesion problems that can happen when whenever studios first start springing up and start borrowing talent from each other and things. Yeah. So you were at Volition for what? Was it like two years? I'm just trying to think of the timeline. Yeah. So this was between two, uh, July, 2007 and then uh, to July, 2009. When I was at Volition, I had a friend, uh, Rayson Varner. We became really good friends and he went down to Gearbox and he went to got down to Gearbox about a year before I went down there. But mm-hmm. after he was there for a year, he uh, uh, an opening for some someone of my experience level basically opened up there, and uh, he invited me down. And he's like, "Man, do you want to you want to work at Gearbox, dude? Like, come on down here." And at that time, I actually was like very skeptical um, of going like leaving Volition to go to Gearbox. I felt like Gearbox was a side grade kind of, I thought it would just, it wouldn't be like a big level up in position. But mm-hmm. um, when I came down, whenever, whenever I flew down to, uh, to, excuse me, gearbox for my interview, I mean, he was basically like, just come down here and hang out, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hang out, come out down here and hang out. Just don't worry about it. Let's, let's, just, let's just have a fun weekend interview at the studio. And at that time it was just him and one other audio guy. And so the other audio guy, his, he's our audio director now. His name is Mark Petty. And I just hung out with them for a couple days. And uh, I mean, the thing, the defining moment that I kind of tell a lot of people about for me was I, it was, I think it was May 2009. And I, when I walked into my, my friend Rayson's uh, audio room, he's like, I want you to check out the latest build of Borderlands. And so he hands me the controller and um, the, but at that, at, t- at that time, the inch, the whole intro sequence of the game was done mm-hmm. and there was this really iconic intro to the game that had uh, a song by cage the elephant. Oh yeah. No rest for the wicked. Yeah. Rest for the wicked. And the whole sequence just like delighted me. Yeah. <laughs> me too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It, it just, it had this charm to it. The, the art style was so popping and, and then as, as soon as I started playing the game, I didn't really, I wasn't really familiar with a lot of the the loot tropes that can be in video games at that point. Like mm-hmm. I hadn't really played Diablo at that point, but oh, when I started playing it and started seeing like the the amount of weapon variety and like how how that progression works and things, I was like, whoa, no one's doing this. Yeah. Like I was like, no, like no company's doing this right now, and this is really fascinating, and it it blew my mind. And so in my head, I was like, man, this could be, this could be a, something, you know, like this could be a really cool, cool thing, or it's going to flop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Gearbox is going to shut down and I would have, and I'm going to wish I was still at Volition and that was, that's going to suck. As, but I mean, I, I ended up just taking, taking the job and moving down and the, the I mean, the rest is history, essentially like Borderlands, I, I, Borderlands blew up like big time in a way that I don't think any of us saw for saw like in the first two years it sold about six million copies which is good but i mean once borderlands 2 came out it sold six million copies immediately now borderlands 2 has sold over 30 million copies so we like i couldn't even imagine i can't imagine back then it doing that well like we we used to have this joke when we were working on borderlands 2 like oh yeah it's going to sell eight million and that just seemed like the craziest idea like (laughs) yeah like you're crazy. That's a silly idea. And then I found out recently that we we reached over third, like thirty million or something. And I'm just like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that's that's that was not I was not expecting that. I, I expected a lot lower number. <laughs> yeah. So it was a little bit more of a laid back interview process. And I'm sure they, you know, prodded for some technical know how as well during that process. But it sounded like once you were in the industry, it was a little bit of a and, and you knew somebody and it was helpful. And it was a little more of a simple transition at that point. Yeah, it was like really laid back. I, I feel like my friend, my friend Rayson and, and I, I mean, he we we share each other's work all the time. And so he's he knows exactly what I can do and, and everything. So that wasn't really like that wasn't really concerned for him. And he was half the audio team at that point. So it was a pretty laid back interview. Um, and yeah, it was, this sounds kind of conceited, but I mean, the job was pretty much mine, like if I wanted <laughs> yeah, it. And, fair enough. But I, I didn't like I, back then I was just like, I don't know if I want it because I just didn't really feel like it was going to be that dramatic of a difference, you know, working at, at Gearbox, you know, but it, it, it is a big difference. Yeah. I feel like uh, the Gearbox, the, the culture at Gearbox is really amazing. It's 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 a very, very creative family. Everyone. It feels like a big family for sure mm-hmm. in a way that it, it, it's and it's an independent studio. So it's not owned by a publisher. Um, a right. lot of people think that, think that it is, but it's it's a still a private company, so it has it still has that independent spirit and vibe to it, which is which really really translates better overall. I feel like into the creative process of what we're making, we're not having we don't really have this sort of like publisher that's just trying to control everything. Yeah, it's, it's more like a you know it it feels like we're 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 making the fun and then the publisher figures out how to like pay for it and like market it and everything yeah and and that's something i'm picking up on twitter i mean i know you guys haven't been able to talk really much at all about it until it was announced but um i i can think of one or two other gearbox people on my twitter feed and they all do seem to share that feeling like this is our thing and here's what we're doing and we're real and like everyone's very optimistic and uh yeah. It's it's refreshing to see because yeah, a lot of companies, big and small, don't really get to to feel that way. It's nice to see. Yeah, I I, I uh, actually was reading, uh, I mean, uh, about Todd Todd McFarlane the other day, um, and how he started creating the the comic Spawn. Oh yeah, and he was working at. I mean, he had a high profile job at Marvel before that, and he. Even with an awesome job working at Marvel on your dream comics that you probably wanted to work on since you were a kid, like he had this feeling of he was working for someone else still. Yeah. And I don't really, I don't really feel that way at Gearbox because I feel like I don't have to get approval on creative. You know, the the thing about Borderlands is the universe of the of Borderlands is really whatever we want it to be, and Mm -hmm. it can be fourth wall breaking. It can be. It can be as as silly as we want it to be. Whatever whatever you create, whatever sort of sound I you, I create, just becomes the lore of that universe. Period. You know, yeah. it's not working on another, you know, a film IP or something like that where you have to adhere to. Well, you know, if it's it's the light, like if you're working on a Star Wars game, a lightsaber needs to sound like a lightsaber. You know, yeah. or it, it's it's something that somebody else made. Even though even though working on a Star Wars game would probably be pretty kick ass. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah dream come true it's there's something about like uh working on borderlands is like it feels like it's ours you know everyone shares it and it, it's so it's so full of personality like just from the very beginning and i feel like it's it that's only matured since throughout the the releases since uh borderlands one and i feel like there there are some it seems like there are some very good publishers out there but even with with the best of them i don't think you would really have that much personality shine through if you've got people at a conference room table going this seems risky or that seems let's go this more you know conventional route with this yeah totally yeah volition in some ways has a similar had a similar sort of like path with saints row because mm-hmm. saints row 1 was basically the, the big selling point for Saints Row 1 was we're going to be the first GTA game out on the new Xbox 360. We're going to beat mm-hmm. GTA out the door before a new GTA game comes out. So you can get a next-gen GTA game, you know, and that was a, the promise of it. It was basically a, a San Andreas clone. But then Saints Row 2 came out, and it came out right around GTA 4. And when GTA 4 came out, I was like, man, I think we're all we're just going to be crushed by this. <laughs> but when Saints Row 2 came out, it was like, oh, well, GTA 4 went real gritty. 
and like really dark and yeah. and it very serious and Saints Row 2 was over here, you know, you know, you had guys with poop guns, you know, <laughs> shooting each other and comically, yeah. Yeah, so it kind of went in that direction and I and but I also think that Saints Row just kind of like ran itself into the ground a little bit. Uh, as much as I love the franchise and it, it's it's dear to me, like they just kept putting them out and just it's like every time they would put out a new one, I'm like, well, where do you go from here? <laughs> <laughs> Look at what we've already done. Yeah, <laughs> what can we possibly put in this? Yeah. Yeah, dildo bats in the third one. Can <laughs> <laughs> like, two more of these? <laughs> now we're in space doing what? Like, yeah. And they were putting them out like pretty not too long after each other. I mean, like within a year or two, there was like another Saints Row. So, and it, people still love that franchise, but yeah, it's you know. it's awesome. Yeah, but yeah, I, I I think that as far as like Saints Row goes, I think the the company kind of like felt like they had to kind of keep doing the safe safe thing a little bit. Like, oh, this is working. This is something that's working. Let's just stay here. Yeah, and I mean we. We uh, we could do the same thing. Obviously, obviously, we have Borderlands Three coming out, but we did do Battleborn, and I'm as much as that game flopped really badly, and it sucked that that game flopped. I'm so glad that we took a risk to do something new, yeah. Even if it didn't work out, I mean, I'm I'm just glad that we have the financial backing from the Borderlands games to be able to to you know stay afloat and everything. And obviously, it's the, the smart thing to do now after something like Battleborn flopping would be to, you know, do another Borderlands game. You know, and, and all of us want to do another Borderlands game, but I feel like at, what we did was we had we had a really good success with Borderlands one and two, and it was just like the smart thing to do is when you when you have that success is to try something new. And I'm glad that you know our company did try something new, even if it just didn't work out you know, in our favor. Yeah, absolutely. It seems, it seems like it's, it's good to um, have that momentum and see where else it, it might take off. You know, it's, I totally get that for sure. Um, yeah. Totally. I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about, first of all, so as you transitioned from school, uh, you know, you were very fortunate and uh, got to go straight to work in the game industry. Uh, more or less, it sounds like. Did you feel pretty well prepared once you got out of school for that? Like once you got there and went like, no, I was ready for this or like, holy shit, no way. Uh, yeah, I feel like I was. Uh, I, I was, I mean, I was also taken under the wing by a group of very patient people who were <laughs> just knew that schools don't train for game audio. You know, like there was no such thing. Right. And everybody in the video game industry at that time totally understands that. So uh, they, they, the first things that I, that I did was, was they were like, all right, we need, we need you to make sounds for visual effects. So it's like things that, you know, whatever visual effect happens in the world, if it's a water spout or, you know, a billboard exploding or the bush, a bush exploding, you know, like there's like a lot of like things like that, that happen. So like, I just went through like my first day on the job, first few days was just finding all the visual effects movie little movie renders of them and putting them into my DAW and then just making sounds for them and then exporting those and then putting this the sounds into the game so it was like kind of small baby step stuff like and then my supervisors at that time Frank Patricus uh he would he, he would just come by I would I would be like hey this is what I worked on just tell me if it's good to put in the game you know and he would just you know thumb give, give it a thumbs up thumbs down so it was like a lot of they had a lot of like direct supervision over what I was doing at that time. It didn't feel like the most creative work right off the bat. Like it was a lot of, you know, we need sound for this. There needs to be a sound here. So put, put a sound in, you know, kind of thing. It, it wasn't like heavy, heavy, highly creative sound design. It was, but it, but it was, it was a start and it helped me grasp the, the fundamentals of like, you know, the basic fundamentals of sound design for video games and like how it, how it all worked, how you implement the sound of the game and like, what what the best pra- practices are for you know managing your audio assets you know all the all the very basic things yeah it makes perfect sense pretty prepared you know overall for that i would i would call that encouraging because you were in school at a time when maybe school wasn't as prepared for it as as um they are now and so for people on their way in it's probably a good sign yeah and now uh full sail teaches uh, a lot of video game audio stuff these days so it didn't take too long for 
for you know the school to kind of like update their curriculum to reflect all the very various like interactive audio jobs that are out there now. And uh, I, I went to a som- somewhat similar school. I went to ITT Tech, and instead of adapting with the times, they were shut down by the feds. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> which you may or may not have heard about. Was that because uh... that was? I, I think it was somewhat political because like they had they had um people getting student loans but then they like weren't being placed after school and they like weren't prepared enough or something like i always felt like you got out of it what you put in i i went and i had my nose to the grindstone i was very motivated to get working after that and i did okay my friends did okay but if it's true that most people didn't do okay then i've got no issue with that i guess you know (laughs) Yeah, uh, Full Sail actually has a little bit of a – they have to prove themselves to the government all the time, I think, for, mm-hmm. for simple reasons. Uh, I actually serve on a uh, – I've served on their audio board or uh, some t- like one time, and they they invite industry professionals to come check out their the school, like kind of how they're doing with their curriculum nowadays and give feedback. And it is something that – non-traditional schools I think in general just have to kind of like prove that they're not just this sort of like degree farm that spits out you know degrees and with no result essentially I think is what it what it is they have to prove that (laughs) they have to prove that this is a real place educational institution that that um that can that can spit out you know people who who do well in the industry and and then you're absolutely right because I think it is exactly what you put into it. And when I when I was trying when I was trying to decide whether I wanted to go to full sale, I almost didn't. I'm glad I did, but I almost didn't because there was a lot of smack talk about the school online from students who didn't get jobs. There was a website that was notorious. I don't know if it's still around, but it's it was like basically just called fullsalesucks.com. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just it was a place where people went and bitched and you know gave their testimonies. I mean, Full Sail had to. Full Sail used to have this thing they called it the Career Placement Department, mm-hmm. yeah. and they had to change the name of it because of websites like FullSailSucks.com to Career Development Department. Like because oh, interesting. The, the name Career Placement is like inherently misleading. Like, oh, we're gonna. You, you'll go through this and you just get placed in a job. After you'll have your career issued to you once you cross their hair. Yeah. It'd be nice, that, but I think they, yeah, yeah, no, here you go. All you had to do was sign up. Now you're going to be a famous recording engineer. Yeah. Off you go. Yeah. Uh, and I can see why they probably in the, in the nineties, I think full sale could, it could much more easily get away with the name career, career placement because in the nineties there, the, the amount of people going to that school was, a lot smaller and there were actually a lot more jobs for recording studios back then. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I I've talked to a lot of full cell grads from the nineties that did end up working in the music industry and, yeah. and things eventually like that's the thing is full cell has this, this marketing machine that attracts so many people to, to it. And when I was in school, there were 2000 recording arts graduates a year from that, from just that degree program. And wow. just a, a year, every year, <laughs> Every year, there's 2,000 of these people with degrees running around looking for jobs in an industry that's that was shrinking, you know? Yeah. So so I can see why Full Sail offers a very, very amazing education. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, it's it's one of those things you, you have to be kind of, you have to be willing to pivot and be flexible if you want to do something with that degree. And, you know? and even the choice for you to go there from your... your home to pick up and move and, and go there. It seems like a lot of your career has been uh, made successful by your willingness to, to get up and go relocate. Like if this is where yeah. the action is, that's where you're going to go. And I tell people all the time, uh, you know, based on my limited experience of my own, if, if you want to do it, be ready to pick up yep. and go. And that's, yep. you just got to do it and go where the action is. Yeah, exactly. To me, uh, as a, as a young student in my early twenties back then, I was a no brainer. I wanted to go. <laughs> yeah, time, yeah. I don't understand why nobody, everybody, like anybody, wouldn't want to just leave and check out somewhere new. I mean, yeah, uh, I think it's pretty. I think it's fun to uproot your life, and you can kind of every time I've done it, like it's a cool way to meet new people, reinvent yourself in some ways. You grow throughout the process. It's challenging, and it can be. It can. It can fluster your emotions a lot, but I'm sure I, that's right. But but it's at the same time, it's like the most reward. It's so super rewarding. Like 
I kind of got addicted to it early on for sure. (laughs) And what has been, um, what's it been like to be a pro industry person, like almost 10 years ago, uh, compared to what it's like now? I mean, social media is a lot different and, uh, the things we know about the game industry are a lot different. I mean, is it, is it still rewarding or I'm, I'm sure it's challenging at some point. You guys are in the news every single freaking day right now. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and it's like everybody's so excited about Borderlands because I, I realize this sort of uh, indicates my age now, but a lot of people so excited about Borderlands 3 were like teenagers or even kids when the first one came out. <laughs> it's like... I, I felt the same way. I'm like, dang. <laughs> there's extra buzz about it for that reason, but like people are, you know, there's also some negativity and it's really got nothing to do with what Borderlands 3 is going to be like. It's just people wanting to play it here or there or political things. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the greatest feeling in the world was when we announced, you know, a few weeks ago. Um, it felt like all the comments I saw online were like 95% positive. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always going to be, you know, internet comments being internet comments, you know, and there's toxicity, but if you see 95% good, that's me. That's pretty universally good, you know? Yeah. But yeah, whenever we announced the Epic deal, it definitely, it definitely sucks to see like, cause, cause that has nothing to do with what I do. You know, right. it's, I'm a con, I'm a content creator. I'm just on the, the, the end of the, I'm on the end of the thing trying to make the game cool as hell. Like I just yeah. want to make it cool as hell. Like it's not my you know, job to figure out where, what platform it goes on or anything, but uh, as far as like what it, what it's like two, 10 years ago versus now, you know, it's it's just a very it's inter- it's interesting to see where the industry's gone in the past 10 years because uh, I'm coming up on 10 years at Gearbox and but I've also been it's kind of weird I've been on Twitter for 10 years now oh, man, and yeah and uh, and it's kind of Twitter is has I mean this is a piece of advice I give to people but. I find Twitter more valuable than LinkedIn at meeting as far as meeting people. I do too. Obviously you and I are talking now because of Twitter, mm-hmm. um, but I find it to be just a little, a lot more personable of a platform uh, to meet people. I've met a, a ton of people in the industry. Other, there's a whole game audio community on there. I follow a ton of big, you know, sound designers and I tell students all the time. I'm like, yeah, LinkedIn is, is important. You should have a LinkedIn account and it, it can help help you for sure. But, uh, Seriously, if you get on Twitter and you just act like a cool human being, a nice human being, and you, it, it is sort of like what I would recommend to people over, like just like MySpace was really helpful to me back in the day. I think Twitter can be a very similarly empowering tool, like for up and comers and stuff. Since the early days of my career, I've, uh, I've stayed on Twitter and I've had my ups and downs with it. <laughs> for yeah, sure. sure. You know, like. I feel like overall it's a net positive, you know, just to meet other people in the industry and like see what other people are doing. What's really cool about the industry is like, there's so much talent out there. You know, uh, what I love about video games is like, it's not just, it, there's never like one person that's like making it happen. It's, it's a collective group of like different people. It's not like, it's not like you, sometimes you'll go see a movie just because of an actor's in it. You don't really have that same sort of, thing going on for video games you don't go mm-hmm. you wouldn't go see ace ventura if anyone else <laughs> other than jim carrey was playing you know it's true <laughs> ace ventura but i guess like, sid meyer has a little bit of that but other than that yeah but i, I said it's funny that you bring that up because i was thinking about that in the back of my head <laughs> uh sid meyer doesn't even work on those games anymore like apparently but sid meyer also got that idea uh, apparently steven spielberg told him to do that. Put your name on the box. <laughs> I heard a different version of that story. I heard it was uh, he and his manager, Bill Seeley, were talking to Robin Williams. Now now we're in like urban legend territory now. So now I'd love to, re- <laughs> yeah. love to research that a little bit. But I, I heard the same kind of story. They were like, you know, you got like basketball stars. Why don't you guys have video game stars? And I thought, that's cool. It sure didn't take off, but that was a cool idea. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's just kind of hard to... I mean, like, there's, there's obviously people like, like I see, I, I can't help it, but I see Corey Barlog as the kind of face of the God of War games right now. Mm-hmm. You know? But, but at the same time, like, it's such a, it, it, it really depends on, it doesn't, it just depends on so many different things get, go, getting right for a good game to come out, and it, it really requires 
hundreds of people doing the best that they can at what they do at their own small little piece of what they uh, of the game you know whether you're a texture artist or an animator like everyone trying to kill their own individual responsibilities is what makes it work like you know and what makes a great game a great game you know and then god of war is a great example of that like everything everything went right like narrative animation art audio for sure and you know the 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 leadership of 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 that game you know and everything like everything just i'm sure uh, not to say that they didn't have their struggles but but that's like just one of those games where you where it's like man everyone on that team crushed it (laughs) yeah yeah collectively (laughs) so as we're sort of winding down here because man an hour just flew right by but as you're starting to, um, your, your responsibilities at Gearbox seem to be expanding a little bit as things progress. Uh, what would you say the future holds? Do you, do you like the idea of doing more of a, you know, transitioning into maybe kind of leadership or management of some kind, or do you want to stay in the trenches and work with the technical stuff? Um, yeah. So right now I'm a, I'm a senior sound designer and I kind of prefer to, uh, I, I've played the lead role a bit in the past. And I, I, I could definitely see myself being a lead lead sound designer, which is a senior sound designer with just m- more sort of authority or owner, like, you know, kind of uh, over things. Um, one of my best friends, Brian Fieser, is is the lead, lead audio de- uh, guy in our department. And um, uh, I, he has a really good, like, head on his shoulders for things. Um, I, I definitely just prefer being be doing the most artistic stuff possible. And also, like, being challenged uh, creatively and technically. And one of the things, like, that's really, really... uh, We haven't really talked about this yet, but I'm going to kind of give a little hint. But, like, on Borderlands 2, we shipped with 300 gun assets. Like, over 300 individual wave files of gunshots to cover all the manufacturers, all... all the different gun manufacturers and their variations, basically. So whenever you picked up a bandit shotgun or you picked up a Hyperion submachine gun in the game, in all the previous Borderlands games, they all sounded like, you know, the same gun, essentially. Like, no matter what rarity they were and things like that. So the Hyperion SMG would always sound like the Hyperion SMG. Jacob shotgun sounds like a Jacob shotgun. Yeah. And so that was like 300-something assets. Right now we're we're like sitting at seventy five hundred individual gun sounds wow. for this new one, and I like that. What changed is well, yeah, we have more memory, <laughs> but uh, what changed is the design of the audio for this. And uh, I have to give big props to Brian Fieser and our our code team, our audio code team, for developing a system where we could basically play audio Legos with all the gun parts. So whenever you get a certain gun part, we have it every time you get a new gun, it takes, you know, six or seven different parts and then slaps them together. And each one of those parts has a gun sound on it. So it just Mm. clamps together to form one new sound. It's a totally modular experience. It's really cool. That's sort of where we're going, like in the future, like this is, I don't think I don't really know if a game has done something like this before, but it has been a complete pain in the ass to sound design for it. I'm sure, yeah, <laughs> because you can't possibly technically you can't really hear every single variation that's out there because there's millions, you know. Yeah. So there's ways you can hear most of them, obviously, and most will tell you, you know, 99 of what you need to know. But I think that's sort of like taking always doing new things and innovative things that haven't really been done before. I think that's what's really exciting about games is like now we can, we like every time there's a new in, increase in technology and whether it's CPU power or graphic power, you know, and, and memory in this case, like now we it's like, okay, what, what could we, what could we do if we, if we just had more of this, like what, how could we take advantage of it in games more than any other medium right now? It's like, you can see giant strides in innovation just because you actually did get more juice, more power out of your systems and things like that to, to utilize. Um, I, I feel like I, as much as I love movies and, and music and things, the creative innovation in those mediums 
has more or less sort of plateaued, you know, a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's still going to be great films every year, and I, I love them. But you don't really see, like, these these groundbreaking new things, like, you know, the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. You don't really see that happen as much. It, it still does happen, but, not you know, not it's not like every every four or five years, I feel like, in games, there's there's those new moments of like, oh wow, woof, yeah, you know, that's something that's never never been done before. Wow, that's that takes that that created a whole new genre. You know that, <laughs> you yeah. know that raises considerably. <laughs> yeah, that that's true. For that reason, it seems like a fascinating area to work. I mean, you just you'll be right at the bleeding edge of all that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, uh, I have to do plugs a little bit differently today because normally I'd have an indie developer on and go, uh, the name of the game is uh, whatever. We're all going to be watching for Borderlands 3. Needless to say, we're all very excited. Where can people find more on uh, Joshua Davidson? I'm just I'm on Twitter. If you ever want to say hey, uh, it's tw- my Twitter ID is just at Joshua D-A-V, all one word, uh, J-O-S-H-U-A-D-A-V. That's pretty much that's it. <laughs> so I'm always down to chit chat and stuff. And I have a lot of fun interacting with people who are interested in video game audio and just if they want to chew the shit about Borderlands or anything, I don't care. Very cool. Well, uh, congrats on all this. You're, you're clearly, clearly doing well and, uh, we'll be excited to see what's next for you. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Thank you. As always, if you enjoy the Game Dev Breakdown podcast, you can follow along by subscribing anywhere podcasts are found. Please consider dropping us a rating and a review or tell a friend who's into this kind of thing. And if you want to go even further, check out how you can get involved with our new community over at patreon.com slash codewriteplay. We'll be back very soon with more very cool stuff, and we can't wait to show you. So keep working hard, keep playing, and we will talk to you soon. Mario and Ken were throwing the sign peace. America was playing real like Zaxxon in the Middle East. But no matter how much my neighbor said the world would end, I was determined to play Missile Command till the end. I wasn't a normal child who played with yak backs and crayons. Cause I liked how that track ball felt like the world in my hands. Each star was a space invader, the sky was Gallica. Every day was a boss fight, the soundtrack was Metallica. This was back when the only snakes in my life were on Cupid and video game pixels.